0: Um, If you guys can turn in your Bibles to Colossians, we're going to continue our series uh, through the book of Colossians. We're going to close off the second half of chapter three, um, and I want you to notice the title of the sermon on the screen. The sermon title series is Riches in Christ, Riches in Christ, and we are very rich. Uh, The title of today's sermon, however, is the sermon of our hearts, all of us. Have a ministry, and we're all preaching to each other in a different way, and it's more than words. We're actually leading louder than our words. We're leading out of the sermon that's alive in our heart. Um, As we go through this particular moment, I want you to see there's a lot of modern problems that Paul is addressing. Sometimes you can read a Bible. Especially if you have a King James and you have a lot of these and thous and all those kind of like, well, this is an ancient book with some some good uh, philosophies in it. No, these are very modern situations that Paul is going to speak to and he's going to have practical application to how we are to conduct ourselves. The way that we could look at this um, is if we decide whether we want to follow through with the scripture is you want to ask yourself this question. Is God God? Just sit there and think about that for a second because when you admit that God is God, you're putting him in the position of the ruler that is over all of the universe. If he is the creator of the universe, correct, then what do you say to a God when he gives you a command? If that God gives you a command, do you follow that command? So you're admitting that he's the maker of heaven and earth. You admit He's in control of everything. So if does his word say, does it go? Uh, the One famous scholar said it this way, the most important thing about you is what you think about God. Because if you think of God as a, a punishing God, right? A, like, a, like a very angry and like, I, as soon as I mess up, that God's on top of me doing like, you know, pouring out his wrath, then that's how you're gonna conduct yourself. That's how you're going to approach him. But if you believe that your God is the God that put Jesus Christ on the cross and is pouring out grace and is a God of forgiveness and a God of mercy and compassion, if that's what you truly believe, then that's how you'll proceed in your relationship with him. See, it all comes down to a relationship. So as we move through the scripture, I want you to think about this. Do I serve a loving and grace-filled God? And do I belong to him? Do I belong to God? Does God have my heart. And if that's true, then am I bound to his commands? If I'm bound to him, am I bound to his commands? You see, as we walk through life, a true Christian walk, a Christ following uh, walk is one that has eyes on Jesus. My eyes are fixed on Jesus. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter how I think the situation goes. It goes to what Jesus has said and what Jesus has done. And so that's how we're gonna be moving forward through this scripture. We're gonna be walking out by hearing and then believing, but then following. Uh, you know, your relationships have that same kind of an effect on you. What you believe with your husband, what you believe with your wife, what you believe with your children, what you believe with your boss or your you know, coworkers. If, if you believe the relationships at a certain place, then you'll proceed that way. And so the Lord is gonna have a prescription for that. i to just say this, have you ever been in that situation? Like, uh, this is how you know how dire the need is for God to give us a prescription. Have you ever had a phone call for somebody that you needed to take, but you just looked at, you see, just see their name. If you have an iPhone, have you seen their picture? And their picture just drives you nuts. And you just do one of these. <sighs> you know you need to go, what's the next thing that comes of your mouth? Have you ever said these words? Lord, help me. <laughs> have you ever said that? Because you mean it. Lord, I don't know how to do this. I need your help in this relationship. And so what this entire passage is, how for you to work your way through God's commands in this relationship. So without further ado, join me. Chapter three, Colossians chapter three, verse 18. Uh, Follow along with me. It says, verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husband as it is fitting in the Lord. Let's pray and go home. Right? No, no, no. Like I said, this is a very touchy subject, but I want to encourage you this way. I want you to hear the commands of the Lord from the Lord. And I mean that specifically. I'm going to put up this uh, first slide. What does that word submit mean? It's a very touchy word in this day and age, right? Everyone's about fighting for individualism. Everyone's about standing up for your rights. Everything You can't do that to me. You don't know who I am. That's, that's what this is. This is actually addressing this from a different way. It's not, it's not even touching on the individual. It's touching on the heart of the individual back to the Lord. Submit means to willingly surrender to someone else's leadership. It's a willingness. Would you submit to God's leadership by submitting to somebody that he put over you? Every day in every way we have to do this. Marriage is just one of them. And so what we're looking at inside of this is we're looking at this. This is not about the respect that the person has earned right? Has every husband that ever lived, were they all respectable? Did they all live? Women, why are you laughing so quick? (laughs) Has every man that has ever lived that has been a husband, has he led well? Nevertheless, what is the command? Wives, submit yourself to the person's leadership. And that is a very touchy thing because you know what? Do you believe that God has a plan for your husband? Doesn't matter about his performance right now. Do you believe that God has a redemptive plan for him? What is your role? Your role is to bring the love of Christ into the house in this particular way. What you're communicating to your husband in this situation is not that he's trustworthy, that God is trustworthy. And this begins the movement of transformation inside of a Christian household. And that's what he's saying right here. And so what we wanna do is just take this moment to understand where we're actually submitting first. I'm gonna put up the next slide submission first starts with your surrender to God. You know what's really difficult for a woman to submit to an imperfect man? If she's not godly in the first place. She's, she's actually trying to do it in her own power. So what the best thing that a wife can do in this particular moment is get right before the Lord. Once you're right before the Lord, guess what? You want to follow the Lord's commands. If you're not right before the Lord, guess what? You struggle with his commands. And we've already decided that this is a binding command from the Lord. And so what we want to do is to, to offer a godly woman to a go- to Maybe he's not a godly man. Doesn't matter. The call is to be a godly woman first to God and follow his plan. Now, what this verse is actually not saying, it's not diminishing your equality. And that at no point in the scripture did it disqualify the woman from being equal to the man. Because have we actually seen in other scriptures that there is no slave or free, no Scythian or Greek or barbarian or Jew, right? There's no man nor woman. We are all children of the Lord. That's the equal playing field. Are we called to different roles? hundred percent, absolutely. And so the Lord is not saying, I'm asking you to diminish yourself or put your integrity in check or or be lower than the man. The question, the first and foremost is, will you submit to God's plan? If the answer is yes, then you follow him into it and you leave him to be the one that's calling it. Now, I wanna let you know the standard that you're walking into, wives, because this can seem very heavy. You're like, okay, I'm gonna take some notes and we'll wait till we get to the husband before I say anything else. <laughs> But I want you to hear the legacy that you walk into. It's nothing that you have not heard from from Christ himself. Look at Philippians on the screen. And this actually applies to everybody, but I want you to hear uh, to the Lord's mindset. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, look what the word mindset. There is a reason why Paul put that in there. He's saying, you have to decide to have the same mindset as Jesus. you're You're not worried about like, I'm looking at my husband, am I equal to him, am I diminished? No, you have to choose, I'm equal, what do I do with my decision? Look at verse six. This is Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Let's stop right there. If you believe in the Trinity, as we do here at this church, you believe Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You believe that Jesus Christ and the Father are one, right? Came from Christ, came from God, sent to this earth, right? Was he equal with the Lord? Yes. What did he model out for us on this earth? Surrender. Surrender. Remember, you know, Peter is standing there in the Garden of Gethsemane and he hacks a guy's ear off. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? You think I need you with a little sword to... Take off this guy. I can call angels. I can call a legion of angels. I'm the God of heaven. I don't need your help. I willingly lay down my life. This is is my commitment to you is my submission to the Lord. And that's what he's saying right here. I am equal to God. You know what I'm modeling out for you? See, Christ didn't just come to this earth to die for us. Christ came to model out life. We are Christians. We are to be Christ-like. We are following in the discipleship of Christ. And what did he model out for us? Surrender. If anybody in this world didn't need to surrender, it was Jesus. And what did he model out daily? The will of my father is my food. I live by surrender. Look at the next verse. Seven, rather he made himself nothing. To give you a better translation of that, he didn't like diminish himself. He said, I empty myself of what I want. How do you know that? Garden Gethsemane. Lord, if you would, hopefully if you could, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go to the cross, but if it is your will, I will lower myself to the point of the cross. Look at the next part. By taking the very nature of a servant, who did he serve? God and man. Being made in human likeness, verse 8, and being found in an appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So boom, there it is. There's Jesus Christ in all of your relationships, he's saying. In all of your relationships, model out what I just did for you. Your will needs to be subservient to the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is serving you. So you can't come into the kingdom of God as a selfish person and then tell God this is what humility looks like. That doesn't even make sense. That's counterintuitive. What he's saying right here in this verse, as we're looking through Philippians, he's saying... You have to bring a servant heart because that's what I brought. If you want to look at the economics of the kingdom of God, you know what works? You know what makes this kingdom flourish? When we all put each other first. Amazing. And so just understand that word uh, like humility is not the same as humiliation. Sometimes today we hear that word humility means to like somehow make yourself just humiliated or make yourself something that you would be very uncomfortable. No, humility can be uncomfortable, but it's not to destroy yourself. In fact, the word is closer when you tease out the Greek, closer to good-hearted or tender-hearted towards each other. So I'm going to just put this this way. He, look at verse 8 on the screen, real quick on Philippians. It says, He humbled himself. He was tender hearted towards us and towards the Lord. That's actually a closer scripture verse. So you could say this to the wives wives, submit to yourselves to your husband. Wives, be good hearted or tender hearted towards your husband. That kind of puts a different spin on it, doesn't it? And so, first, the first thing that we have to do before we can be tender hearted towards each other is we have to be tender hearted towards God. So the first thing I need to do is to submit to somebody else. I gotta first be submitted to God. So if you are going through a relationship and things are not right, I can tell you this, we can walk through it right now. Like you, me, and God can walk in a room and go, well, this isn't working out between me and -and so-and-so. And I'm like, how's your relationship with the Lord? Not great. How's your walk with the Lord? Not following. You know what I'm saying? We can just go right back to it. Why? Because we haven't even submitted to God. We can't submit to his plan inside of the relationship. So yes, we can walk in a relationship and demand our rights, right? We can demand equality. And guess what? We could, but Jesus didn't even demand it. So how are we to stand before the Lord and go, I demand my rights? And he goes, I lowered myself down to the point of even the cross to make sure that the people in this room have unity and relationship with God. That's what we're to live out. So notice one thing, though, because I know the wives are waiting. I know you got the finger on the trigger. You're just right there. Notice one thing. Notice that at no point in the scripture did God ask the man to remind the woman (laughs) that this scripture is in the Bible. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, this verse doesn't even... Tell the men to even consider this verse. The only thing it says is women, submit yourself to your husband by whose command? By the Lord's. doesn't even bring up the guys. It doesn't even bring up the guys. Let me just put this in in, in a perspective for you. Um, Anytime a pastor is preaching on a subject, just so you know, that subject comes up a hundred times that week, whether we want it to or not. So as I'm, I'm doing this and, uh, I'm, you know, like going over this and I'm playing around, joking with my wife about the scripture, she's making hard-boiled eggs because we eat a lot of non-carb days. Like we eat like really healthy and hard-boiled eggs is just really great. And I'm like, I don't know if I can even look at another hard-boiled egg. And so I walk in the room and I'm like, how about no hard-boiled eggs today? Let's do something different. And she's like, yeah, okay. And then I come back and then there's a giant pot of hard-boiled eggs on there. And I get it because it's easy to make for lunch. And I look at her and I go, what's with the hardball legs? She goes, yeah, but, you know, it's easy. And I went, well, you need to submit. (laughs) What do you think her reaction was? (laughs) Her reaction didn't even come with words. It was your reaction. She laughed. (laughs) Anyways, and she moved on. Because it's not the husband's job to remind the wife to submit. It's her job to get right before the Lord and follow through with his plan. And that's what the scripture is saying. It's not initially, like this is not a a power grab by the husband. In fact, that's not even godly living. It's not godly living for me to sit there and harp over my wife of what she should do before the Lord. In fact, if I have to do that, then guess what? Our house is out of balance to begin with. Because what we have is two unbelievers, not unbelievers, but two godly people trying to do ungodly things to lead each other instead of pointing each other back to the Lord. In fact, what the wife is doing is she's modeling out that the husband should trust God's plan. So it doesn't matter if the husband is Christian or non-Christian, this woman is deciding to follow God's plan regardless because she doesn't trust her husband as much as she trusts the God over the whole house to work out his plan. In fact, it's not even his job to even point to this verse or do this scripture. It's his job to love her in a different way, but also submit to her in this way. Look at verse 19. I know you ladies are waiting. Here we go. Boys, buckle up. The women were asked to submit. Now that's surrender. That's respect. I want you to hear how heavy it gets for the guys. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That word harsh isn't just be like irritating or annoying or demand no boiled eggs for that week. (laughs) That word is actually to not deal with her the way Christ wouldn't deal with her. I want you to see Ephesians chapter 5 on the screen. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, I want you to know something. This is a very, like, I'm going to say this in in a reverent way. It's a very fearful thing for a lady to listen to the Lord and hear the Lord say, I want you to put your submission into the hands of an imperfect man unless that man is submitting to the Lord. And then it becomes a very honorable and delightful thing because look at this. If you just look at the scripture, you, you have to say to yourself, can I trust a person if they don't trust God? Can I submit to a person who doesn't submit to the Lord? Well, nonetheless, for the wives, you were called to that. But husbands, look what your command is. Your command is to bring in the love of the Lord into the house. Who's responsible for grace, mercy, and compassion? The man. Who's responsible for the edification and encouragement that we are a Christ-following family, that no matter what, the responsibility leans on you? The man. What's happening right here is it's modeling out this. Look at the, the word on the screen love submits to the other person's well-being first. So you could say the whole point was the women to submit, but the men, they were supposed to just love. No, you're supposed to submit and surrender your life to your wife. We just proved that in Philippians, and now we just proved that in Ephesians. Just think about this. Jesus Christ is sitting in heaven. How awesome is that? Right, how awesome is that for Jesus? But for him to gain the bride of Christ, the church is called the bride of Christ, for him to gain the bride of Christ to make sure that she flourishes, that's all of us, what did he have to do? He had to vacate what he probably wanted to come down to what we needed. That means I'm not sitting here going, men, you can't go golfing, or men, you can't have that weekend ride on the motorcycle. What I'm saying is, is your wife flourishing in the love of the Lord because you have ushered that into the house? That's what this is saying right there. Is your wife flourishing in her love for the Lord because she sees it and is experienced in you? We are to model that out for the women that are in this room, for for, for our wives. And you have to ask yourself this really crazy question. She's submitting to an imperfect person, but is she submitting to a holy person? That's your question as a husband. Is she submitting to a holy person That is filled with the love of the Lord. That's a much softer landing spot, isn't it? You know, all of this takes place if both men and women have this word. It's called agape love. Because the word love comes up. You know what it says there? Husbands, love your wives. It's agape love. We're going to put that on the screen. It's unconditional love. You know what agape love is not? It's not romantic love. That doesn't soothe all wounds. That doesn't repair a person's heart. That doesn't restore someone's life. It's not erotic love, as much as people would try to make that out to be. It's unconditional love that points a person to heaven. For the husbands in the room, or maybe potential husbands in the room, are you the kind of guy that would lay yourself down, all of yourself, to the point of, like say, dying to yourself so that your wife could flourish? Would you raise her up And not just like, uh, I read the scripture and this is what I want to do. No, on a daily basis. How about if you're really going through it on a minutely or secondly basis, right? And you know what's amazing about all of this that we see inside of the scripture right now? Christ has spoken to us and Christ has been the model for both the man and the woman. Isn't that incredible? I mean, one, one verse scripture in Philippians, Christ has laid it out. He said to the wife, you need to surrender. You know why? Because I surrender to God. So if you're going to follow me as a Christian, follow me into that. And husbands, you need to lay down your life like I lay down my life for the church. You need to follow me into that. But does not that not bring unity between us and God and then, then to each other? That's the harmony that the Lord is talking about. And so this sounds great, right? This sounds like, you're like, Joey, this all sounds wonderful until the rubber meets the road and then you get inside my marriage. Well, then I will tell you this. Then you're finally hearing what the Lord is saying. It takes work relationships take work. You know what's the hardest part of you submitting to God's plan? You. I have found that the hardest parts of our marriage has been the parts where I don't want to submit to God's plan first because the moment that I do, something takes place. It's called transformation because what I'm doing is I'm taking my heart and laying it down. You know, there is no place for a self-centered heart in a God-centered kingdom. There is no place for a self-centered heart in a God-centered kingdom. You cannot sit on the throne of your heart and tell God how it's supposed to be because then you are telling God, he's not God, you are. And therefore, there's all the breaking, right? There's all the problems. We've started with this with Lucifer all the way through Adam and Eve, all throughout history. What is sin? It's separation from God's plan. And the only way that God is going to honor you and bless you is when you operate inside of his prescription and his plan. And so the Lord is saying to this, this is not for a husband to forcefully take power away from his wife. It's for her to lovingly surrender first to God's plan and then to her, and then for the husband, for him to surrender to God's plan and then follow through with his love for her. You know, so many times, because women can say, because I, I, I feel like a tension sometimes with that word submission. A lot of times when we go into counseling, it's not always an issue of submission. Sometimes the man doesn't even want to step up into the role that God's called him. We go into counseling and go, what's what's going on with you two? What's going on? And we come through it and we walk through scripture and we talk, we come and find out the man is there, he's present, but he's not participating in God's plan. This marriage takes two people who love God first and then love each other. But to love God is to follow God. To know God is to listen to God and hear and believe. And so that is where successful relationships work inside the church. What would happen in every marriage, not just in this church, but all churches, if everyone... First submitted to God and then to his plan. How rock solid would every marriage be? And that's what God's called. And these are just two verses. Look at the next one. We're going to go because kids aren't getting off the hook today. This passage comes to the next part. Children, verse 20, obey your parents and everything. For this pleases the Lord. Now, reminder in this that you can understand is this is not talking to adult children. This is for children that are being home and are being raised, little ones that are being raised to become the adults that they are going to be, the the men and women inside of Christ that they're to be. So nobody can go home tonight and pick up the phone and like, Pastor Joey, to my adult children, he said, you gotta obey me, you come home for Christmas. You know, you you can't do that. That's not what this verse is saying. What this verse is saying is you need to be living in a house that is in complete balance with the Lord. So first, you gotta love the Lord And then you have to surrender to the next person. Well, this is a binding command for kids to honor their parents, is it not? But look at this, Ephesians chapter six says this. Children, obey your parents. This is up on the screen for you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Verse two, honor your father and mother, which is, now notice this, the first commandment with a promise. Stop there. Isn't that amazing? God's saying that to us. Look, there's a bunch of commandments. Not all of them come with a promise. This one comes with a promise. Look at the promise. So that it may go well with you. Yeah, if you don't listen to mom and dad, how well did it go for you, right? Look at this next part. Can you see if you can hear your parents in this one? And that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Can you hear it? I brought you into this world. Some of you had the same parents as I did. We might even be brothers and sisters. I can take you out, right? But look what the Lord says. This is the first one that comes with a promise. It both comes from uh, the Colossians verse and then also from the Ephesians verse. Surrender pleases the Lord and brings blessings. Surrender pleases the Lord and brings blessings. The reason that we can model this out for our children is that if we're already adhering to the first two verses, right? We're first getting right with the Lord and then we're getting right with each other. Then we can expect that of our children in the next generation. We can't expect that in them if they don't even see that modeled out in you. If you don't ever surrender to God and you don't surrender to each other, how can you expect them to surrender? And that's what he's saying right there. Surrender pleases the Lord and brings blessings. And once again, the Lord is not gonna honor your sin and your rebellion and continue blessing you. The only place that you're gonna find that the kingdom of God, remember says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and the rest will be added to you. The rest ain't coming until you first seek the kingdom of God. And what is that? Following the Lord's command. Now, look at verse 21. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Um, I like this also, too. Ephesians on the screen, verse uh, 4 and chapter 6 says this. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Why did Paul bring this up in two different chapters? Because kids will make you nuts. (laughs) So understand that the Bible is very practical. It's got a little spiritual, right? But it's very practical too. You know what has grown me more than any other thing on this planet? When we had two children and now I have to deal with two little clone sinners of myself. (laughs) Two little clone sinners of myself. Do you know how many times I tell, it's almost like I don't even want to say something. Like, don't go touch this. That's the only thing they want to touch in the house. And I'm like, what are you doing? It's not like you can touch 99% of this house. You just can't touch this right now. What's the one thing you're trying? Well, what is this doing? How will I pull this out? And if I throw it across the floor, will that be good? No, don't touch it. And the moment I start feeling it well up in me, I'm like, these little sinners, these little (laughs) rugrats. I can hear the word of the Lord come right over my shoulder, right? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, uh." so you tell someone something for their own benefit and protection and then they don't listen to you and everything goes kaput. That's interesting. And then they want to come back to you when it hurts. Like I always say to my son, don't balance yourself on the couch. And then he falls and then he hurts. And then he looks at me like, well, why didn't you tell me the ground was going to hurt when gravity hit me there? How many times have you looked at God and said, well, why didn't you tell me it would turn out this bad? Only to find out he's been telling you nothing but that in scripture. First thing we want to blame is the person trying to protect us. But look what the the commandment is in here. There's a binding command. Fathers, do not embitter your children. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, or they will become discouraged. You know, the calling here is for you to shepherd your children the way Christ shepherded you. Who here has sinned and immediately got hit by a lightning bolt? Not a one. Oh, somebody really? Did you really get by light light? <laughs> it wasn't quite a light bulb? Yeah, it was quite a light bulb. There's maybe some other stuff, but, right, but, like, but nobody's ever gotten the punishment. Or how about this? Who here has suffered the wrath of the cross? Now I have to be really theological with you guys. Who here has suffered the wrath of the cross the moment they sinned? Not, not a person in here. So I'll just say this in this way. How gentle has God been with you behind the scenes with your sin? You know, just think about this, and this is very, very important for everybody to hear in this room right now, and this is, you can understand the gentleness of the Lord. There's a great uh, statement by an old-time scholar, like in the 1800s, he said this, God has a way of raising you up, and you don't get exalted, meaning you don't get a big head, right? God has a way of breaking you down behind the scenes so that nobody sees it. That's an awesome statement. How many of you have been dealt with gently, but still held accountable by the love of the Lord behind the scenes, and your church, and your friends, and your family might not know the depth of which God's taken you. How many times have you had that moment where you may have been on your hands and knees, maybe crying yourself to sleep because you blew it, but the Lord has been working on you, but none of us have experienced that with you. I might not even be up here if you guys knew everything that the Lord has done inside of my heart, but has he not been gentle? Has he not been gentle to you? That's why he's saying to you, fathers, do not exasperate your parents. And notice in here, who's missing from this sentence? Mothers. Why? Because men deal with disrespect differently than mothers, don't they? And so the calling is here is don't be this kind of a person. You are in an interesting place, dad. You are in a very, very interesting place of dealing with a small version of you who is a sinner, who is breaking all the rules and doing everything wrong, but what is your commandment? Train them up in the way of the Lord. Don't get mad at them. Don't blow them up. Don't get them discouraged so that they don't have a great image of the grace-filled, loving Father who has poured himself into you every day. How many times have you reached forgiveness with God right after you blew it? Jesus, please forgive me. How quick is that forgiveness coming? Right away, right away. How, how quickly can you fall back into the arms of God after bailing on him? Right away. How quick it is the Lord receive you? This is. uh, I'm gonna put three things that in this particular verse that I have grown in since studying this. Um, I just want to encourage you. This is not exhaustive. This is not only thing. This is for the fathers in the rooms and moms. If you want to pick this up, I think it's important too. But look at this. There's submission to raising up the next generation. One area that I've grown is in affection. How affectionate is God to you, even when you fail? When have you never felt the love of God, even when you look at the cross? You're the sinner. You're the one that nailed Jesus to the cross with your sin. Do you still feel the affection of the Lord? Absolutely. So should your children. So should your children. How about apologies? This is one area that I had to really grow in. Well, I'm the adult here. I'm the parent. I tell him what to do. Yes, but he made me nuts. He left the Legos out. I didn't leave the Legos out. My feet hurt, not his feet. So I can say whatever I want to say. No, not true. There's many a time that I've had to humble myself in my position before my children to say, yeah, uh, everything, you're still in trouble. You're not getting a Popsicle after dinner, just so you know. That's still happening. But I'm gonna apologize because I didn't live the love of the Lord to you. I failed in my responsibility as a father. Like God has been good to me. I have not been good to you. Now I might feel justified in that, but that's not the calling that God put on my life. What am I modeling out for my son to be a father Who operates in that way. And the last one is authenticity. I'm gonna tell you this if you don't do the first two, then your kids are gonna see right through you to see that you are not the authentic Christian that is described in the scripture. And you are modeling out the love of the Lord from His throne to your heart to them. And they will believe it to be true when they see it to be lived out to be true in your life. They know when they make you crazy. They also can see within you, humble yourself inside of your calling to move forward in this way. And I will tell you this, there are a few areas where the submission of my heart has grown me more than when I've had to humble myself to a smaller, tinier sinner to say that I have failed you. And so guess what? Even though they're inexperienced and even though they might make mistakes and even though they do everything that you tell them not to do, what is the calling on your heart as a parent? to raise them in the right way towards the love and instruction of the Lord. And that's final. That's a binding command from God, but it was modeled out for God. Okay, that's kids. Let's go to verse 22. Now we're going to focus on employees, our favorite subject. Verse 22, it says slaves, but just so you guys know, the slaves here could be all multiple different ways. It's like a, it's saying co-workers or anything. Not everybody in here is like slave, like slavery in America. It's not talking about that kind of slavery. Some of it's bond servants. Sometimes somebody could uh, adhere themselves. Like I'm going to sign a contract for seven years and I'll follow this master. And if the master is good at the next seven years, I can say, I will be bonded to you for life or I could take another seven-year contract, or I could leave, right, you know? But if the master was good, guess what the servant would do? I am bonded to you for life. We like you here, it's good. So when you see that word slave, we're not challenging a system or anything like that. We're talking about a huge word that went across for all kinds of people that worked for people. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it, not only when their eyes are on you, and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, ooh, not for human masters. Look at verse 24, this gets really deep. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. So this binding command says it this way, we're gonna make it real nice. Submit to God in your calling and leave the consequences to him submit to God in your calling and leave the consequences to him. You know, consequences could actually be translated to compensation if you're looking at verse 24. So as Christ followers, we are called to serve a boss, right? Like if we have a job, we're going to work, right? We're serving a boss, we're serving a business. We might be serving a client, but who are we ultimately serving? Christ, isn't that amazing? So it's actually elevating your work. It's taking your work and saying this, I am a holy God, that's what God's saying, Is your work before me holy? Well, I'm a janitor. Didn't qualify the job. I am a holy God. Is your work before me holy? Does that not change how you approach your workday? God's going to be there. So I pick up a scalpel or a pen or a broom. God's going to be there. That's kind of amazing to me. And so is your job holy before him? You know, the world is watching. You know, so many times when I would work a job, people would know when I wasn't having a good day and they're like, Jesus isn't here today. Yeah. That hit me hard one time when I walked into work one day and was having a bad day and I was you know, someone's like, ooh, Jesus didn't come into work with you today, huh? <laughs> and I was like, oh man, what a quick humbling to know that I had to get right before the Lord once again in my relationship before I could be right with somebody else. But understand this, mo- someone's watching you more importantly than your boss, it's God. I want you to look at the compensation package that is included in verse 23, 24. You know, God's ahead of your HR department. You know that, right? Look at verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Does it stop there? No, God includes this in his compensation package to you. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. You think your paycheck is it? You think your benefits insurance is it? The Lord is building up something for you. And you know what's kind of amazing to me when you read it this way? Do you want to see how holy and honest day's work is for the Lord? I mean, to honestly not rip somebody off, not to cut corners, not to just, you know, work hard when the boss is walking by and then flip over to, you know, like a video game, Minesweeper or Solitaire when they walk by. You know how important this is? God has equated it to an inheritance in heaven. Like, this would put you on the level of, you know, God is a worker, right? He worked really hard creating the earth for six days, and then he rests. He didn't quit in the middle. He's like, hey, we're going to take 15. Right? Eh, nobody's here. I'm gonna take... no, no, he could have. He's God. Who's going to tell God what to do? God is a worker. He expects us to be workers. And look how he says it. According to the scripture, your full rewards are not even here on earth because you're not even working for everybody here on earth. You're working for Him. And so that is the consequence that we lived in, or the compensation. So if you feel shortchanged in this life, understand you can go to the head of your HR, and it is God, right? And you can say something. Now, that was the employees, and all the employees are ready for this, just like the wives are ready for the husbands. All the employees are ready for the bosses. You know who your boss's boss is? Who's your boss's boss? God. Look at this, verse four, or chapter four, verse one. Masters provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So this is to anybody who is in an overseeing leadership position, a boss, a manager, a CEO, just so you guys know that the Lord expects you to lead that job well. How? Like Christ led you in every situation. Is your master actually in heaven? Remember we started this service with? Do you believe God is God? Are you bound to him? And are you bound to his commandments? Well, just remind you, the leadership that Christ brought you into this room is the leadership that you need to bring into your job. Let me give you the, for instance. Has God forgiven you? Has God forgiven you well? Bring that into your work. Has God shown you fairness and kindness? Has God been a blessing to you? Has God given mercy into your life? Bring that into your job. Look how the Lord leads us into this verse 25. Go back to 25. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is No favoritism. You remember Joseph's life when he was in the the book of Genesis, when he got ripped out of his family home and sold into slavery? Did Joseph complain about his situation? Or did he serve his master well because he was serving his master in heaven? And then what happened at the same time when his masters treated him well? They flourished. Everywhere Joseph went, when the master treated Joseph well, those people flourished. Why? Because they were leading well back to Joseph. And that's what he's saying right here. We are to be this way in all of our relationships. We need to be clothed in the same clothing as Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians 3. I'll put it on the screen. Or you can go back to verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, is anybody chosen by God in here in this room? Holy and dearly loved. So holy in your marriage, holy in your parenting, holy at your job. Dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have uh, has any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. You know what this is called the sermon series? It's called the Riches of Christ. You know what's going to make us rich in heaven? The forgiveness that we have felt for a life lived against God here on earth and yet we get eternity. We have failed God in the temporary, but through his grace, what have we received? Everything. And so the Lord is saying, by the same way that you have been clothed in the riches of God, walk out that riches. Now that you've received the riches of God, earn the riches of God by walking it out. Walk it out in front of everybody so that every single person can be attracted to the Christ that's in you. This is our final slide. Look at this point. Did you know that your life is a sermon? Your life is a sermon And a heart full of God preaches better than your lips ever could. Understand that, that the world is spiritually poor. They're bankrupt. And you're walking around with the divine blessings of heaven wrapped around you and Christ sitting on your heart. You don't think that the world is hungry for what you have? We are the difference in the world because we are the change in the world because heaven has come to us. But we have to receive and walk it out. So if you are a Christ follower, look at that word. I didn't say Christian, Christ-like. I said Christ follower. Will you follow God into all of this? Will you be bound to his commands? Just think about this. You will separate yourself from the world by the wealth that you have received. Just think about the passion and ministry that Jesus had for everybody in every situation. Every time he came across somebody, were they perfect? No, that's why this is work. There was everybody in need of Jesus Christ, absolutely. Did Jesus change their life? Most of the time it did. The one with the hard hearts ran away, but the people who received, what did they do? They had a whole new story that was written into the Bible. Can you imagine if we follow these commands, bound to these commands, because we believe that God is God and we believe his word is true, how we could change marriages today? How we could change our neighborhoods or our workplaces how we could change our community. Can you imagine if this was rock solid in our heart, how the city of Sebastian could change if we believe this to be this? So it starts with saying this, yeah, I have a lot of spheres of influences in my life, but who's at the center and who's running it all? Is it Jesus or is it me? Is it Jesus or is it me? We're about to take communion, so if you guys can grab uh, your communion cups. I just want to encourage you inside of this, As we move forward, this, your life is a sermon because Jesus came and wrote the rest of your story. And our hearts should be filled with the same grace and surrender that Christ showed us on the cross. We've already proven today that Christ has shown us a great level of worship, I'm sorry, uh, service to our worship by coming to, to the cross and dying for our sins. That wasn't something he wanted, remember, right? Lord, if you could let this cup pass for, from me. Let this cup pass from me, but it's your will. So today what we're going to do this is we're going to recognize that the Lord did a great amount of surrender that we should be super thankful for from the cross. You know, this, this bread and this, and this juice represents his body and his blood that he sacrificed on the cross so that we could have a great relationship. It says uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What you're proclaiming is his surrender to God on the cross for you. None of us are in this room if Jesus Christ doesn't surrender. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a moment. Jimmy's gonna play a song and we're gonna take time to examine our hearts. If you're in this room right now, we know what the first command was to get right with the Lord. Before we go into our communion, I'm just going to ask, don't worry about wondering what God will think of you. You know that when you stepped in this room, God knows everything about you. There is no such thing as secret sin before the Lord. But what the scripture says is we should examine ourselves, take inventory, and give it to God. If you need forgiveness, ask for forgiveness during this time. As Jimmy is singing, just confess your heart to the Lord. Just confess it.